Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. It is. It really is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring video interviews with award-winning authors, best-selling authors across the genres. Yes, all across the genres. Last month, I talked with Laura Munson, just had a novel out. And uh, this month, I just uh, had my conversation with Susie Moore, who wrote a book called Stop Checking Your Likes, the self-help book sort of uh, in the self-improvement world. I really wanted to talk to her because she's written a book about not looking for people's approval. That is something writers, I think we do, maybe, a little more than we should. We don't have to, but we do. And it was great. Great conversation. She was down in Miami. I was here in Seattle. But no problem. We Zoomed it. And it's great. And it'll be up uh, this week, probably tomorrow, the day after. So check that out, authormagazine.org, where we got also got articles on writing and the writing life. My blog comes out three times a week. My little essays. It's all there to support both your, your, your writer's soul as well as the writer's craft, the whole enchilada. We do it all there at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by Pacific Northwest Writers Association. We've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We're still doing it, even during these unusual times. We have a conference every year. I don't know what form that conference will take, but it will be here in September. Uh, it might be virtual, so maybe you'll get to attend from all over the world. That could happen. We don't know. We'd like to be live because you know why? We like to all gather together in person. We do because writers are such a bunch of homebodies, such a bunch of private introverts. It's good to get out and meet each other and mingle, but if it can't happen, we'll do it virtually. One way or another, it's going to happen. In the meantime, we're also going to offer some classes through the, through the spring and summer. I know I plan to be teaching some, and those will be done virtually. Uh, so if you're interested in all this, go check it out at PNWA. Uh, you know, and speaking of writing organizations, one of the best in the country, I think, in addition to the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, is the Willamette Writers, all from down in the south of Washington, down in Oregon. A lot of great writers down in Oregon and Portland, and today's... Uh, guest, the fabulous, the lovely, the generous Kate Ristow is the executive director of Willamette Writers. But that's not all she is. Of course not. No, she's a novelist. She's a dynamite speaker. She's a folklorist. Uh, and um, her essays have appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post. And she is the author of middle grade, uh, the middle grade series Clock Breakers and the young adult series Shadow Girl, which I'm happy to report the most recent iteration or uh, installment of The Shadow Queen, or Shadow Queen, excuse me. That's out today. That's right. Shadow Queen is out today. And we're here to celebrate with Kate herself. Kate, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for that introduction. It's so good to hear Shadow Queen is out now. That's, that's a very, very good feeling. Is it a good feeling? How are you? You know, I have, a, I have a bunch of friends or a handful of friends who have books who have come out in the last month or two, and they're all shook up about it. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about it before that I'm feeling good with a giant asterisk. Like, I think right. that we're doing the best we can, and we're also, you know, the reason we write is 
because it's what we have to do and what what we want to do to share our stories and get our work out into the world. So this is the perfect time to share stories and people want to read and people want to, um, you know, dive into stories. So I'm happy yeah. that I get to get that book out there. That's great. Well, congratulations. Which, which number is Shadow Queen in the Shadow Girl series? It is number two, and okay. number one started in 2008. So I've been waiting oh. for number two to come out. What what's what was the delay about? Why why 12 years between them? What was it? Was it? What happened? Just tell me the tale there. If it's not too gory, <laughs> I'm, I'm if it's not a laugh, gory publi- <laughs> publishing story, but what happened? No, it's one of those super, super boring publishing stories. Um, yeah. So, you know, you talk about the roller coaster ride of writing and the roller coaster yeah. ride of being an author. Um, and so that book was uh, slated to be published, I think, in 2011. I make up years. I'll just start saying right. random okay. numbers. That um, sounds good. And so it was, it was going to be published. And the month before my book release, that was going to be at Annie Bloom's Books in Portland, right? So mm-hmm. a month before the release, the publisher like closed their doors. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And basically, you know, they gave me all the books back and they gave me the rights back. And so suddenly I was an indie publisher um, myself. <laughs> um, and then okay. later on, that book was picked up by somebody else and another publisher who then sadly didn't pay me. And so then what? now I'm with a, a new publisher. I know it's a, uh, it's kind of that just bad luck sometimes, you know? Um, All right. But the publisher I'm with now has been like super supportive and amazing. Um, and I'm really happy to get book two out with them. All right. Oh God. So that was, so you, so you, you did you just, did you try to independently publish shadow queen? Um, I did not. I went with, um, so Shadow Queen, I went right with Not A Pipe Publishing. Um, they're, a, they're a small press in Independence, right. Oregon, actually. Um, oh, okay. And they have been just a really great community of writers. Interesting. Okay, so let's back up. Let's back up and, 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 and learn a little bit about Kate before 2008, before 2012. All the back, back, back. Uh, I get the feeling you're someone who was just like an avid reader, and someone who, like, if I had to guess, you were writing pretty early on. Am I wrong? Did it come to you later, like in college yes. or something? No, I wrote, um, I read a lot for a long time. I still remember, like, poems I wrote in fourth grade. But yeah. I didn't write stories or books or novels. I wrote really, really bad but good poetry. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So you started with poetry. And yeah, started with poetry, and one of my, you know, I, I, I burned through journals all throughout high school, and um, right. it's interesting, if you ever dig deep enough, uh, one of my high school friends became like a music composer, and he took a bunch of my uh, poetry and turned it into lyrics for, really? like, really kind of uh, atonal choral music. <laughs> okay, how did that, did, did, what was that like hearing your poems in atonal choral music? I think it was my first real lesson in this idea that like as a writer, you have like your vision of what people are, um, people are understanding about your story and how they're coming into your world, you know? And he kind of showed me that like, you know, your readers can be reading from so many different perspectives and so many different ideas about, um, about your story and about like kind of the words that you're putting on the page. So, you know, it was great. I, I, I love that story because it's a great illustration because I'm sure that when well when you're writing poems usually when I would write poetry I wouldn't I turned some of my poems into songs but when I wrote them they were just poems so I was not hearing them 
melodically. You know, they were just words. But you certainly aren't hearing atonal choral music, probably, you know. And how fascinating <laughs> then to take those words and then to know that they can go through somebody and turn into something so different than what you could have pictured, you know? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's something we talk about with folklore all the time that, you know, you have stories and stories have different meanings and ideas and they're, they're all like read differently and told differently by different people, kind of depending on their perspective and who they are and, right. um, and what matters to them. Like, and then those stories that kind of stick around and last are the ones that like, really resonate with us that they like have a deeper meaning and they feel timeless almost. Yeah. So talk to me about being a folklorist aside from someone who likes folklore. What, what, what does that Mm -hmm. mean to you? Uh, Do you study it? Uh, Just take a deep interest in it. What is it being a folklorist? What makes you that? And how do you practice that? Yeah. So it's all those things. It's, um, you know, it started out with just reading Greek mythology, Irish mythology, Celtic mythology as I was growing up um, and thinking about those stories and um, and loving like, you know, how they wove their way into like just, you know, in other books. So you'd be reading some random book and it would have a re- reference to like Persephone and you and you would have so much right. more like depth and richness to like your understanding of that piece because you had all right. this background to work from. Um, but then at the same time, as I was reading, I was getting kind of more and more frustrated um, with the stories that were getting told and the stories that like weren't getting told. And those like the characters and the themes and the, the pieces of things that became important in mythology or in folklore. Um, yeah, that were kind of um, pushing aside other ideas that matter to me. Um, right. So that also really influenced like the stories that I wanted to tell. Like I wanted to kind of make sure that everybody's everybody's voices were out there um, and that they got to see themselves a little bit more in stories too. When you say that, do you mean that there were, that there's a, there's a whole catalog of folklore tales that, and only a select few were getting told or that you felt that the the folklore stories that you heard were not representing enough types of people or was it both things? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good thing to say that it's, it's not representing everyone basically, you know, it's, like when we think about Greek mythology, like I love the example of Greek mythology because it's all of these epic heroes and they're going on quests, you know, right. um, and then you flip over and you go to Irish mythology and, you know, I was working with an Irish myth in one of my books and in Irish mythology, you know, people go to war over a cow. <laughs> so it's these things that like, <laughs> so these ideas, they really resonated with them at the time, but they're not right. stories that we understand now. Like, like, well, that's right. not super important to me, but I understand like <laughs> the journey and the epic process. And <laughs> right. so I guess I'm, yeah, I'm interested in like those, those stories that last and why they last um, and right. who they're kind of excluding and how we can kind of include, include all of those perspectives and think about them. But also the, the, I mean, the, the first, the big folk tale in a way is Homer. And as I understand, um, Homer was not a person probably, but a collection of people um, because the folk story is a one that gets told orally again and again. And I assume like a giant creative game of telephone, it keeps changing over time. Right? It keeps kind of mutating a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing. Like I started out studying mythology and thinking about mythology, but actually, like as I went further along um, through college and into um, grad school, I started looking at uh, basically how we develop online communities um, and right. our beliefs and how our beliefs change over time and change in reaction to being in different communities. Um, so that idea of uh, of change and of the stories that we tell um, probably influences me the most. So it didn't really matter that I was talking about folk tales anymore. It mattered that like maybe we were looking at a meme or maybe we were looking at a comic right. that really spread really quickly among all of our friends, like and right. meant a lot. Um, and then there were others that didn't at all. Like, right. And so, all right. So writing itself, there's folklore, there's the study of stories, but then there's writing where it's you and the blank page and you say to yourself Mm -hmm. kate what do i want to see on this what do you want to see on that page what were the first stories you started writing just you and that page yeah so one of the first like really big my my first novel was uh the shadow girl book um Mm. and shadow girl kind of came out of um there's a story um and it comes out of a book called the burning of bridget cleary and it's an actual real live story of something that happened in the 1890s in, um, in the islands in Ireland, um, okay. where basically a woman was, she was burned alive because they thought she was a fairy. Um, uh, and they were okay. trying to get the changeling out so that they could, right. um, yeah, so that she could be rescued, right? right. Um, but okay. then they actually ended up killing her. Like, yeah, and so then, so that idea, like, just stuck with me about, um, like, who this woman was and, you know, it kind of transformed in this idea of like, maybe she was a fairy and like, what would right. that really have been like? Um, and so then it, you know, it drove into this other story that I, that I wrote that, you know, started out like um, kind of very traditional. Like I had my prince and I had my, my woman who, um, you know, she, she was born in our world, but then taken into the fairy world. And then she comes right. back as a teenager and like, is kind of trying to figure things out. Um, right. And she meets a prince and like, he is also a fairy prince, but she doesn't know it. <laughs> right. Um, and so I get to the end of this book and, you know, there's all these fairies and they're all interacting. And, and somebody says to me, like, you know, I, li- I like the book, like I get what you're doing, but why do you go into like the human world and never actually meet any humans? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's like a really good point. <laughs> so I take this, I took this character named Hennessy, um, and I put her into the story. Um, and so I'm developing her along with the prince, you know, and like, they're kind of like playing, you know, three way between each other. There's a lot of like snarkiness back and forth. And um, eventually, you know, in my revisions, I wrote out the prince. <laughs> and so uh... I have the story about eventually it becomes these women who are, um, yeah, kind of coming into their own power um, right. and how they see the world. And there's not really good guys or bad guys by the end of the series. It's just, um, you know, people who are making choices. Right? Now, that's interesting for this type of story, because traditionally there will, if there's magic, if there are, if there are fairies, if there's wizards, if there's anything like that, the good guy, bad guy dynamic almost always exists. But you managed to tell it without mm-hmm. it. That is pretty interesting. But it just sort of happened organically? Yeah, definitely. Because I think Shadow Girl has that good guy, bad guy element, you know, where, like, uh-huh. she's she's naive. She's coming in the world. She's starting to understand things. She's meeting people. She's understanding how the magic works. 
Um, but then when we get into book two, like, you know, you kind of dive into the other side of things and you see like why those people were making the choices that they were making and, you know, how they became who they are and like what they're trying to protect and what they're trying to save. Right. And, and so shadow girl was your first novel. Uh, but it, I, it was mm-hmm. it also your first foray into fiction, period? Or was it like poetry, 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 then Shadow Girl? Or was there in-between stuff where you were sort of screwing around trying to figure out what you wanted to do? <laughs> so it was poetry, poetry, poetry. And I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know how to do it, right? Um, uh-huh. So poetry, poetry, then a lot of essays. Because, you know, when you're an okay. undergrad in English, you write essays. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of essays. And then I took a creative writing class and it was my first creative writing class. And it was with David Foster Wallace. What? And what? <laughs> yeah. was he, your was, first? he was Where? teaching at, yeah, my first creative writing class. It was at Illinois State University in Illinois. Holy um, and yeah, so he's teaching, um, you know, and I'm writing these stories that, still even now like are very commercial and very like responsive to like what people are thinking about and like um kind of the current moment mixed in with right. folklore and uh, mythology and um so I'm writing these stories and you know I would read them to the class and the class is uh you know in our writing workshop and you know the class would laugh and they'd just be funny and weird and not right. really incredibly meaningful but just right. interesting stories uh-huh. um, and then he said he was like you know Kate like you know, I like what you're doing, like the class, you know, it's funny, it's interesting. Um, can you try and write something serious? And I was like, All yeah, right. like I can write something serious. Like, I'm okay, I'm going to write something serious. Like, and, and I should have known it wasn't going to work. Um, right. When the characters met, the characters met for the first time in Starbucks. <laughs> and like, it became the story that I thought was like, started out serious, you know, and turned into something entirely different. Um, right. But that kind of set the stage for how I write where, you know, I write stuff that I want people to read and I want people to enjoy. Um, and then I'm adding, you know, from my writer perspective, I am adding twists to get them to think differently or to look at the world right. from like well, a different angle. I, I reject the notion that it's, you you have to choose between humor and depth or humor and meaning. I think humor is just one, mm-hmm. one of the many tools we have open to us. And he, you know, what he may have wanted was just for you to go a little deeper into the characters, the deeper into the conflict, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you give up humor. It doesn't mean you give up playfulness. I think that can all be, you know, part of it. Um, that's interesting. Get serious. Get serious, Kate. Come on. <laughs> Get <writer>. serious, Kate. <laughs> well, so, all right. Like, but <laughs> was he a good teacher aside from that comment or was yeah. he disinterested or was he all right? He was all right. Like he was, he was actually very interested and very intense um, and wanted like, you know, wanted students to learn and wanted them to treat it as like important and meaningful as he did. Like so right. seeing that like as an undergrad and seeing somebody who just loves writing and like intensely loves what he's, what he's doing. Um, yeah. I think that was, that was probably the biggest change on me was just seeing that like you could do it. Like, um, yeah. But also that uh, there's many different paths to doing it. Like, you know, he right. was one way of doing it um, yep. that people love from like this formalist perspective. Right. Um, right. And that wasn't really how I wanted to write. Like I wanted to yeah. write sci-fi and fantasy and yeah. And stories that matter yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. Well, and it's tricky. I know that within the world of writing and literature, sometimes there can be a, 
an ugly divide between the people who write, like to write science fiction and fantasy and so on and people who write literary. Not always, but sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that can go down. But it doesn't sound like he was, uh, he didn't, it doesn't sound like he, he fell for that himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he just, he fell for a good story, right? Okay, um, oh, good, good, good. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So, all right, Kate, now here's my question. I'm going to ask you, which is something I ask actually a lot of my students. I don't see you as a student, but I'm just curious. What, for Kate, is the hard part of writing? What's the part that is most difficult for her? If anything, maybe it's all just a breeze. I don't know. But what's the, hmm. when you think about it, what's the harder part for you? Hmm. Man, this is hard. Now i got to think of what is actually difficult. Um, because I think... Uh, I'm at this point, I'm kind of creating my own challenges, right? Like, so the current, like the very newest book I'm working on is a book that I just hadn't seen out there. And I wanted to try and do something that I hadn't, hadn't seen anyone else do, um, just with like magic and with, um, with the world and like, um, with nostalgia and with memory, um, and trying to think of how we can have, um, you know, magic and almost magic realism, like feel, um, feel really current and in the moment that we're in. Um, but then also, um, also like a positive thing and like a really good force. Um, and so lots of like, yeah. So I was setting myself these huge goals of, I wanted to write this book that, um, like felt like what it would feel like if right now I suddenly like was set out on a quest and I have like a nine-year-old son and a husband and a house and a job (laughs) and like what does that really look like for a parent right and it it Uh doesn't look like what all of these books write right like it's not like and suddenly she was shooting bows and arrows because right like I didn't even say that right like (laughs) yeah so so that's probably the bigger challenge is I kind of keep making it harder for myself right right Good. Well, that's good. Yeah, you know what's interesting about the, the – I was thinking about fantasy stories is they've got to – if they have a young protagonist, they've got to be – they've got to be orphans. They've got to be orphans. They don't – I mean, mm-hmm. they're not all orphans, but it's – God, it's so hard if you give them parents. It just doesn't work. They've got to be cast out into the world <laughs> with no obligations except finding themselves and getting safe and saving the world. But they can't have parents hovering over their shoulder. They're all orphans. Mm. It seems to me. If I yeah, can, and I think I this can. one, right? <laughs> yeah, I think this I, one ended up being, and this is like a, an adult fantasy story now. Like right. the one that I'm working on right now is like, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's an older woman who actually has, you know, has a kid and has a husband, and I wanted it to her basically to have these memories of what magic was like and magic isn't, um, isn't around anymore, like in this right. story, but she's remembering what it was like. And, um, then at some point magic does come back and she gets to experience it through the eyes of her son and through the eyes of her husband and, you know, just the relationships that you have and how everything changes when you, you know, light a little spark and you can follow that right. along. Right. Yeah. Talk to me about magic. Uh, the first books that mm-hmm. when I was when I first really fell into reading, like deeply, it was when I was in seventh grade. I mean, I read before, I read like the Hardy Boys, like I read a whole slew of those, and then but then I found mm-hmm. The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and that was it for me for about three or four years. It was mm-hmm. all fantasy, <laughs> mostly fantasy, some science fiction, and magic was a big part of that, and it meant a lot mm-hmm. to me for reasons that I'm only now understanding. Um, what does it mean to you when you think about magic? What what is the appeal of that? 
why magic? Why is that important? I always love magic because I think, um, you know, like dragons, they kind of represent like this wild, um, wild hopefulness and possibility and things that we don't understand um, yeah. in ways that something can just dramatically change like in a moment. Right. Um, right. And that we have the power to kind of access some of that. Like, yeah. And I, I think now, like, you know, I read those books too and I, and I love those books and like, I'm looking over my bookshelf and they're like all over my bookshelf. Um, <laughs> but there's a book, <laughs> there's a book I'm reading right now. Um, that's uh it's jen reese's uh new middle grade book and it's a game of fox and squirrels um, uh-huh. and it's a middle grade and it has like you know the the character has a traumatic background um and is kind of dealing with trauma and then there's mm-hmm. also this going into the forest with like magic magical creatures and like a quest and like you know right. kind of earning the golden acorn type of thing right um and that's the thing that's interesting to me where you know, how magic interacts with who we are, like, and kind of what mm-hmm. we want and what we believe and how we want to see the world and how we want to make the world different. And so that idea of magic right now is so powerful because yeah. we see all those things that are happening and we want to save our friends and we want to make the world better. Like, and so right. magic is, is that. Magic feels sort of like, I mean, one thing, magic has to have rules, of course. It can't just be... Mm-hmm. chaotic it's got to have its own structure to it but it's always it's the power infused in beyond the five senses but accessible to us it's sort of like it's coursing through everything affecting everything whether you understand it is or not does that make sense it's kind mm-hmm. of how i've thought of it something yeah. sort of running through everything and then sometimes you learn it, you know what actually kate it kind of reminds me of mm. the creative energy that it's there. Mm-hmm. And like, when I sit down to write, it's like, can I, will I tap into it? Like, am I going to bring my attention to where I get access to that stuff? Or am I going to block it out? Am I going to open myself to it and mm-hmm. allow it to happen or not? And when it happens, it feels a little bit like magic, like something coming to me, something that I'm just there watching happen. Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That it just, it feels easy. Like when you have, when you have the story and you want to tell the story um, and you're down in it, like, yeah, that idea of it being hard like isn't even a thing anymore. It's just, man, I yeah. gotta get this out, and I want to tell this. Yes. So the yeah. hardness for me comes in like in the, am I doing it good enough? Like, am I doing it right. so everyone else is gonna understand how like important or meaningful or um, sad or happy or joyous like this moment right. is? Right. Right. You know, and nobody, and no story we ever write is going. Will, there will always be people who read our books and just go, what? What? Why? I don't get it. <laughs> we all we have to make people. And you know what I kind of feel like is I can understand why people would read my stuff and feel that way. Like I know why if it's a blank spot to some people, um, and hmm. we have to make peace with that too. I think maybe not. Do you? Do you feel well, like you have to make peace was, with that? I think like well, it was interesting because like so when my son started like he had heart surgery um, hmm. like three years ago now. Um, how old was he when he started to go through that? Like, how old was he, he was when he six. had the heart surgery? Um, he was wow. Okay. He was All six. Right. Yeah. And so he's, he's nine now and he's doing great. Like, Good. but when I, like when that started to happen and we started to go through that as a family, like 
I totally like needed to write about it and wanted to write about it. And right. the easiest way to do that was through all these essays. Cause they had all this structure of like, yeah. you know, the way I knew, like, this is how we write. This is what we've been trained to do. Right. And this right. is what I've been teaching my students. And so I know like, yeah, how to kind of move from one point to the next point to the next point. But at the same time, it, gave me a structure for how I'm going to talk about our experience and how I'm going to talk about who he is and all the things right. that matter to us and all those big feelings that we have. Right. Right. And so that's what I, I love about writing. Like when you start to see how you can use it to, to really tell the story that you want to tell, like, and talk about what matters. Yeah. Talk about what matters. Cause don't you, I love talk about what matters. I love doing these shows for that reason, but I think I, I, I married a woman who likes to talk about what matters in my mind. So we get to do a lot of that. But I think I spent a lot of time feeling like a lot of what I talked about didn't really matter. And I secretly wished it was. And writing was, I think, for a time when I was younger, my chance to sink into what I think was actually on my mind. And I actually cared about compared to what a lot of what I was saying. That was my experience. Mm. I don't know if that was yours as a younger woman, but that certainly was mine yeah. as a younger man. Yeah, and I think like, you know, as we kind of played with these stories and, it, you know, at the beginning, you know, I'm writing, I was writing a lot of, you know, kind of the Hobbit and like these epic fantasies. Right. And um, I was, I was thinking a lot about those stories, but um, yeah, when you think about what mattered to me came through in different ways. So it started to be where we're changing the stories. Right. So right. like Clockbreakers is Greek mythology and you have the Minotaur, but you know, the Minotaur was half man and half monster. So what about that half man piece and what would that make him and what would he really be like? Right. And so I love that, like just being able to change things and tell a story, but tell it slightly differently. Yeah. Well, Kate, I'm not quite done with, I'm almost done with you, but not quite, not quite. Uh, Okay. You got a new book out (laughs) shadow queen. So uh, Mm -hmm. people want to buy it. I can't, where's the best place? Just do you have a favorite place for them to go to buy it online uh, that you prefer? Yeah, so I love um, I love Annie Bloom's Powell's Broadway books, and um, there's a new one called Bookshop.org. So if you haven't okay. been there, that's a great place right. to kind of find your own indie bookstore. Bookshop.org. You hear that, people? Go. Okay, we got to support these people. Uh, we got. They're gonna. They'll. They'll be okay, I think. Hopefully, but it's gonna be tough. So okay. So everybody, go pick up your copy of Shadow Queen at Bookshop.org. They'll tell you where to get it. Okay, good. And if people want to learn more about the fascinating Kate Ristow, they want you to be their keynote speaker once such a thing is possible. Is it <laughs> KateRistow.com? Where's what's your Where's the best place to learn about you? Yep, that's perfect. And I'm all over social media because what you yeah. talked about last week about stop checking your likes, um, I'm not yeah. that person. So <laughs> You're not? Okay, good, good. All right, I won't so, yeah, stop. So you're, good for you. You're, well, just, well, you know what? You're very facile on, on, on social media. I've seen it. I, I admire it because I'm not so much, but I, I do the best I can. Okay. All right, Kate, I'm not done with you yet. I got one more question. I want you to finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Patience. Yeah, baby. You can't have enough of that, can you? Right? <laughs> no. Parenting will teach it to you. Parenting will teach it to you, but writing will too. Mm-hmm. That's for damn mm-hmm. sure. Uh, well, Kate, I'm so glad I got you on the show. Once again, Kate's the, uh, the executive director of Willamette Writers. They have a great conference down there every year. You guys are doing it virtually this year. I will be participating in that. Uh, but if, you have, if you're in the Portland area, 
It is a great, great conference. I highly recommend it. And Kate is one of the fabulous people responsible for it. So, Kate, thanks for doing that. And I hope to see you in some form here this summer when, I, when, I, when we do that conference, however it is done. It's a plan. It's a plan. Yes, it is. All right, Kate, take it easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Patience, people. Patience. Patience. <laughs> Got to be patient how long it takes us to open up this country and let us get back out of our patience at the table, wait, uh, t- waiting for the next word to come. I'll tell you, uh, when I'm writing, that's the thing I had to learn the most was what do I do when I don't know what to say? Can I be patient at that moment when I don't know what comes next? That's really where the mastery comes in, I think. What do you do with that moment when you think you don't know? What do you do to yourself? What do you say to yourself? Are you patient? Writing has taught me that for sure. All right. I'm going to be back again next week with Allie Pleater. I believe her last name is pronounced. She's a romance writer and a writing coach and a fabulous lady. And I look forward to having her on the show. Uh, Until then, I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J. And all of you out there, stay safe. Find something you love to do. Find something you love to read. Go do it. Go read it. And be good.